Welcome to the Next Generation Construction Podcast, brought to you by G4C, the young professional voice of the built environment. We are hopefully here to inspire the next generation of our industry. Welcome to the Next Generation Podcast by G4C, sponsored by East Riding Council. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 7 of the Next Generation G4C podcast. Today we have the usual co-host which is Jack and Jenny Um, and today we have a very special guest who is a fantastic role model and is also the head of Construction Excellence. Um, So it's Alison Nicholl everybody. Um, So she's worked in the industry for 17 years and she's got lots of experience in the built environment. So with this podcast, we're just going to be picking Alison's brain to understand her opinion on the industry and also what construction excellence are doing to drive change and to talk about what challenges we still face in the industry. So Jack and Demi, do say hi? Hello, everybody. Um, welcome back. It's it's great that we're on number seven. Um, it's nice to meet you as well, Ali. Thank you for coming. Yeah, hello. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, welcome to everyone back to the podcast. And yeah, good to record another episode and get another different view. So yeah, good to have you on, Ali. How are you, Ali? You all right? I'm good, thank you. And thank you very much for um, inviting me along. I've been listening to all the other podcasts and it's been brilliant. And I think it's great the initiative that you guys have been using to pull this together. And, you know, especially during like COVID and social distancing restrictions, I think the way that we've had to embrace technology has really brought about some really good positive things. And I've definitely seen that with G4C. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it was it was Jack's idea originally, but um, it's yeah, it's such a good way to reach people when you know we can't meet face to face. So um, yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, and appreciate you listening and sharing it about. Yeah, like I said, it's good, and that's why I wanted to do it because, like I said, we're all in different parts of the industry. Obviously, I'm male and two females, just to show a different view and give a voice to the next generation. But I suppose it goes on nicely to why would you recommend people to join G4C and Construction Excellence? I think you've kind of hit the nail in the head a little bit because we're all from different parts of the industry. We're all trying to do things. We're all trying to achieve the same goals, but in slightly different ways. And the more that you can build those in-depth relationships and really understand where other people are coming from and I think that came out of the work that Demi's team did during the virtual project was you know quite often a lot of the sort of problems arise because people don't really understand where other people are coming from and I think G4C especially is a great way to start to understand that and start to work with other people because no one part of the supply chain can fix all of the challenges or deliver everything all on their own and you know 
so you need multidisciplinary approaches you need people from all across the industry to come together and really understand each other understand the drivers understand the problems and challenges from each other's perspective and then really understand what we can do how we can change things to to maximize the outcomes and benefits because i think the built environment is such an exciting place to be and you know we all know that because we work in it and i think people outside don't realize just how how much great work goes on no definitely i completely agree and i think as well g4c just because it's i know you also speaking of constructing excellence but because it's the young professionals we kind of get landed into our position from university and we stay almost insular trying to absorb as much as we can about our role and like trying to learn and, and improve and become an asset for our companies but actually if you still remain insular and you don't see how your decisions are your role impacts other parts of the industry you, your development is is not as good and, and that's why I'm here and I love G4C because my role has just become so much more meaningful to me. Um, I've made great connections and I also now understand like me doing a better job or me thinking of something in a different way because I understand about tendering and, and how Jack has to cost everything and I've got that relationship with contractors and the problems that go through on site. It makes me think differently um, and I love that. I think it's what's missing and people need to be aware of G4C from the get-go of coming out of uni, I think. Mm -hmm. Do you think there is something there actually about how people are, um, how people develop through university and university courses that sort of starts that siloed mentality quite early or do you think? For me a hundred percent, I mean when I was doing my architecture degree, I'm not sure if it's just architects but um, if you've ever had the chance to speak with lots of them, they sometimes come up with this ethos that we are like the designers of the world and there's all of this really old mentality that the architect is at the top of this pyramid um, and that was given to me at Lincoln University and as much as it was nice to kind of be told how important your role is and that you can impact so many things it's just not true anymore in today's society actually we we're dependent on everyone and our, and our role has changed we don't do um like maybe like a BIM manager now who who controls all of that information about our design. We used to do all of that and project managing. We used to do all of that and the roles have just developed so that it's all about collaboration and uni should be really informing people on this. I mean, there's a lot to learn at uni, don't get me wrong, um, but I think just G4C needs to be, like I said, talked about and and people to know when they leave that there's somewhere to go to ask questions that's outside of your company. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really agree. important and I'm really pleased that that you guys are sort of leading on it essentially and trying to to be that because I think it's quite difficult for younger people to approach those established people and most people who are established in the industry will want to help but it's a big step for younger people I think to to approach people who they see as successful and you know when I think back I always think of myself as a little bit shy and not everyone thinks that about me. But, you know, it is a big step to approach people who, you know, 
you think are, are who you look up to. Whereas if you've got peers who are much more approachable, I think that's a lot easier. Yeah, definitely. It's so daunting when you've got someone, you know, I think everyone's probably experienced it when they're, they're trying to impress them and they can't get the words out. And it's, <laughs> yeah, it's that kind of situation. But when you've got a good group of, of people, I think like Demi and Jack probably bring more out of me than than I would if I'd have just carried on in my own bubble. Oh, yeah. that's so nice to hear. Yeah, it's nice. Well, actually, I agree. So, and especially on the last episode that we did, obviously I'll, the women in construction one that we did with Eve, it was that obviously it showed me, like I said, how more needs to be done. For, everyone's the same, really. We need to work together. Like I said before, I joined GeForce. I didn't really interact with many females working in the construction industry, but like I said, it's it's opened my eyes to what amazing work's been done so like you said it's that's why g4c couldn't recommend it anymore and like you said i think in my role i saw silo doing obviously i did joining me first and then did estimating and then like i said you don't know what's around you so it's just like i said i love the monthly chats that we have we just have a general chat with everyone don't we really and like i said it's i know probably it's why i'll Boy, my life's got at the moment with lockdown, but it's turned into like highlight of the month and got to, to actually interact with some people for a day rather than sat in my, sat in my dining room um, table doing some estimating. So, yeah. That's what I always say when people come into our committees for the first time. I'm like, you do realise, even though we're here to kind of help professional development, it really is just like a friendly chat. Um, and we just come here to have a good time and, and to meet people as well. Uh, it's a very chilled atmosphere. Um, Alison, you did mention actually the um, the oh my gosh, my mind's just gone blank there. The work that I did uh, with my team when we did the thing last virtual March project. for the, the virtual, virtual project. project. Thank you. Gosh, um, it was so nice to hear that you remembered it. And actually, when you were saying how we learned about collaboration, it was crazy because it was an insular thing again. That was all lessons learned just in one company at, at Ace Riding. And we all worked with each other every day. So the fact that we learned so much with people that we were sitting next to was crazy. Um, we won't sit next to them anymore because of the COVID stuff. But, you know, I would just think, how could that have been applied to different situations? And maybe what could we learn again? Um, but the construction industry was asked to carry on through the pandemic, as we all know. And how do you think we've all responded to that through your eyes? I think the construction industry has done a tremendous job through COVID. And I think, you know, there there was some brilliant leadership. And I think collaboration really came into this. So the Construction Leadership Council, I think it's been a year since they first met as a as a COVID response group and I think um, the work that they've done in terms of pulling everyone together and the way that people set aside the usual sort of um, challenges and you know representing their specific part of the industry to recognize that if we're going to get through this as an industry we're going to have to work collaboratively and that came down to things like safety measures, sharing insight, sharing access to um, access to resources, access to information etc. I think things like the Nightingale hospitals 
are a real example of just how well the industry can work when they're challenged to do so. Um, sorry, that was somebody just coming, <laughs> trying to phone me. <laughs> I think the Nightingale hospitals are, are a fantastic demonstration of how the industry can deliver quality outcomes and at pace um, and do the planning, etc. And there's some brilliant case studies that are coming out about that. I think the other thing that really came through was um, the impact that the uptake, increased uptake in technology had. So I think a lot of people were forced to work from home who wouldn't normally work from home. A lot of people were forced to use the technologies that they always had at their fingertips, but they never bothered to use. Um, you know, I had Teams on my computer. It was this thing that was on there and you never really used it. Um, and suddenly it became the most important program in my entire life. I'd heard briefly of Zoom, but, you know, again, yeah, hadn't hardly used it and now use it all the time for work for you know those virtual quizzes that we all do etc so i think um but not just that i think it's demonstrated the the value of um of technologies and what technologies can do for our industry you know we've got an industry that um that struggles to attract new people we've got and you know why wouldn't we take advantage of technologies in order to minimize the number of workers on site. We've seen examples that demonstrate that tech, the sites that used MMC approaches were able to, you know, face less disruption, etc. So there was so much, so much good stuff that came out of this. I think for me, one of the big things that was spoken about early doors and it seems to have disappeared though, is the need for a change in culture within the industry, a change in leadership styles, a move away from traditional leadership styles towards um, more empathetic leadership, leading with empathy. There was lots of talk about that sort of nine months ago, and that seems to have disappeared. And I think we need to get back to that a little bit because- Do you think it's disappeared? That's so- um... That's an interesting view because I don't feel like it has. I feel like my experience with my colleagues and my managers has changed and not gone back. Like my managers are always keeping an eye on my welfare and my kind of my mental health and, and like my physical health, making sure I'm taking adequate breaks um, and making sure that my pressures of work is because obviously they can't see what I'm doing every day is manageable. Um, as a young person, they're making sure I'm getting support to learn and they're allowing me to go on training courses even when I'm um, not there. And so I actually feel like it really made them realize and I hope it's not just me because I am quite an open person to like yeah, have that dialogue you're probably one of the lucky ones Jenny. thanks but um I actually do think they connect with us and um are aware of people's kind of personal lives a little bit more now um and allowing people to look after their children and um to to do other things like go for a walk on their lunch like things we'd never have done really before so it's interesting you say it's gone yeah, well, I, I don't know. I think, I think, 
I think for me, I think it's opposite spectrums. Like obviously myself, I do estimate and I work sourcing on tendered projects that I'm tendering myself. So I can go days sat at home tendering, not speak towards the people, but then you have other people on the other hand who are having loads of teams meetings all the time who like don't have a have a break really. So I think there's an opposite opposite spectrum. And I think Luckily, our construction industry has kept going quite well, I think. I think in the last year, I think I've done, I feel like I've done about two years' work in the last year. I think, like, but like I said, I don't think you could complain because sadly for a lot of industries, it's not the same. But I think we've been really busy. And I think the productivity, like I said, as you mentioned, there, I think working from home, I think it's highlighted to a lot of inflexible working. I think it should come in now because I think they've probably got I feel like companies have probably got more productivity because you're at home and people sometimes think oh, I'll just finish this off finish this off for an extra hour so you end up doing more or something so yeah I do like I said it's one well, it's finding the balance really and like I said I do think because people are so busy sometimes you might because you're not next to each other in an office like in, you can probably tell by people's body languages sometimes if they're in a bad mood or upset, but you, you're miles away from each other now, aren't you, really? So it's just, I suppose, yeah, I think it, I think, yeah, probably need to take more of a step back up for when it does quieten down a bit. And I think as well, this virtual conversation that we have, like you said, about body language, we don't really get to know what's going on with each of his lives behind the closed doors. And I think maybe if we could just increase that empathy to understand that, you know, don't call someone and if they don't pick up, it's for a good reason. Because I feel like if I miss my phone now, I'm so stressed. Like before the answer machine just used to get it on my, my people sitting next to me and tell me what happened. But now if you miss a call, it feels like the end of the world because we have to be here at the fingertips. And I think that's something maybe going forwards that managers should be keeping an eye on, um, you know, and not letting people work too late and sending emails on the weekend. Yeah, I think that's something that, managers need to be really conscious of that you know because I think there are people who will automatically just put all the R's in and you want to make sure that people don't burn out and you want to make sure that people are getting their breaks etc because that's the bit that makes people productive you know it's not it's not about being sat at your computer 24-7 well not 24-7 but you know it's about making sure that you have the time and space to to do what you need to do and get get what you need done and you know bring your best self to work essentially yeah I did um for my dissertation I actually did it on fatigue in the construction industry because it was a topic that I was quite passionate about especially working on site with projects when you've got programs that you've got to stick to and and you end up getting this culture of working longer hours and trying to get the project finished and budgeting and time scales and I just thought it was it was an issue and the HSC did a um did like a survey and they found that fatigue was one of the highest risk factors um in construction so I think it's definitely I think people are becoming more aware of it and well-being is definitely becoming um more well known but there's, there's still definitely work to do, I think, especially in, in the restrictions of projects and, and you know, reaching them goals. Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've seen that more more well-being coming in. I think hopefully when restrictions do ease a bit, I think it'll go a bit of halfway elsewhere. 
people will be working from home, but then we'll be in the offices. So then I do think it will, I think long term, I think medium to long term, I think the worthwhile balance of construction and office working and home working will improve. So I think worthwhile balance will improve and I 100% think personally anyway. Yeah. And I'm actually working on a really interesting project as well, where we're looking at what our working environment does to affect our productivity and our well-being. So I'm actually looking at the design aspect and um, how can we create a better environment so that we can be happy and focused and relaxed at work. Um, so that's like super interesting and I'm so happy that I'm getting the opportunity to look into this stuff. Like it would probably have never happened if it weren't for COVID. Um, so good things are coming and I, I guess one of the questions I want to ask you Alison is uh, where do you see the industry in 10 years time? What, what would you like to see? Oh goodness, what would I like to see? I'd like to see an industry that actually is more um, profitable because I think if we are actually making if we're if people are being rewarded more for the value they bring organizations can then afford to invest in technologies in skills etc so and I so I, I use the term profitable in terms of an industry that that those profits are reinvested in in, in improving and and growing those businesses so I think at the moment there are a lot of businesses in the sector that are sort of their, their positions are precarious so they're not able to invest in their people properly they're not able to invest in technologies they're not able to invest in innovation etc so I'd like us I'd like that to happen in order for us to become a more innovation focused easier to uh, an organization or an industry that embraces innovation a lot more so embraces new ways of working because we've seen like we've just said over the past year how embracing new technologies has led to productivity improvements and improvements in people's well-being their ways of life etc and I think if the industry got better at investing in technology we could you know we could really become a much more attractive industry to work in a hundred percent that's so interesting um when you say um technology like what is it in aspects like what what parts of the sectors do you think's missing that te technological innovation um because for me i i I, I obviously design using technology now, so I guess you would say from years and years ago when we used to hand draw everything, we've moved forwards, but I really want to see a world where I can um, communicate with people using my 3D model and, and the people on site can understand it just as much as the people like when I'm speaking with my clients, because um, right now I've got that, I've got a tool that I use to communicate that doesn't always work for some people depending on their level of understanding um, so I'd love to be able to see people kind of embracing um, and be more maybe the technology be more accessible to people who are not used to yeah. using construction technology. That probably goes back to Alison's point of investing in training because I think we're a very slow moving industry um, and we've got like BIM and um, we've got drones we've got all these amazing things but nobody knows at the moment how to use them and it's about investing in the training and investing 
in your employees to make sure that they know how to how to use these amazing tools um so hopefully that'll come yeah and i think it's about systematically using the technology so not just because i think there's a lot of projects that will use technologies but then how does that then get implemented across organizations yeah. you know and you'll find that the big players have all they've got it but your smaller subcontractors they're not they're not using it they're not on board so it's hard the, the chain kind of breaks somewhere um, yes. and and we can't have that because actually the biggest gains are probably to be made further down the chain. And yeah, definitely. I think we need to be investing in people. Like I think that's the summary of what we're saying here is that actually if companies realise that if people are working to their best abilities, are focused, are having tools that enable them to work more efficiently and they can swap how they work and who they work and collaborate with, then ultimately our productivity should increase, but also our quality of what we're doing. Um, because a lot of the times, like you say, if we're having to switch our language it, just to be able to, to do the next stage of the design, um, because someone's not trained in that, then you lose that quality that you actually put in in the first place. And um, because you're having to revert to old technologies or old methods of communication um, and all that good stuff that we did was not, not there, not translated, which is so sad. I think with obviously the corona virus outbreak, I think it's proved that we can do it as well because since the pandemic, I feel like we've fast-tracked with technology and we've fast-tracked because we've had to do it. We've had no other choice because we need to get on board with technology or we're not going to be able to communicate with each other. So I think it's it's proved that we can do it um, and we just need to carry it on. Pandemic, pandemic, no pandemic, we carry on with this kind of momentum that we've got. Absolutely. It's an exciting time. I actually am looking forward to see what happens in the next 10 years. And hopefully, yeah. you know, we won't be locked down having to force to be speaking like this, but hopefully we'll still be as connected as we are now. But as far as this yeah. goes, internet one, well, obviously what's construction excellence doing, obviously try and progress these changes. So I think, so the core areas that we're looking at around to progress change um, are around digitalization, looking at how we can improve, increase the level of digitalization. So that's not just about BIM, but that's about all kinds of different aspects of digital technologies. So we've got a session this week, actually, where we're going to be looking at artificial intelligence and, you know, how can that be applied in the sector and trying to demystify it a little bit for people, because I think I think some people in construction kind of think, oh, that's not for me, that's for the big players. Whereas actually some of this stuff is really accessible and there's a lot of stuff that, that people can do. So our, our digital group is looking at how do you increase the level of implementation of digital technologies. Um, our offsite group this year is looking at practical implementation. So it's offsite manufacturing and technology. So actually a lot of the focus is on those manufacturing based approaches and how do we how do we get close to the manufacturing sector? Um, and we're starting to see some brilliant examples coming through, but we need to there's still a lot to be done in order to really understand how that how that works on real projects, how it is working at you know, how do you turn it into a, 
you know, being the scale that we need it to be at. Um, our procurement group um, is looking very much at that sort of value and collaborative based procurement. Um, we're doing a lot of work with the construction innovation hub around the value toolkit. And I think that's that's one of those game changers that's come out of, well, it's been around for a while, but actually it's been accelerated through COVID. And I think, um, and also the changes to government procurement regulations, et cetera. Procurement sounds like such a, a dull thing when you don't really understand the fact that in, because my background from um, knowledge transfer was all about pushing innovation through the sector and we could never work out why perfectly logical solutions never seemed to make to gain traction in the sector and a lot of that is because of the way that we procure and the mechanisms that we use to to procure so I think things like the value toolkit have got really great represent a brilliant opportunity to transform that um i think because clients will be able to really articulate value and understand um you know really articulate what it is they actually want as opposed to you know people in the manufacturing sector the specialists etc trying to second guess what their end clients might want but if clients sort of really articulate it clearly, that opens up opportunities to then turn around to clients and say, well, we can offer this and then to focus innovation and research into the right ways or into the right places. And also we will um, we'll minimise on the amount of iterations that us designers have to go through in order to figure out what the client wants. Um, <laughs> that's, that's usually what my job is. So we tease out what clients want by showing them what they don't want, uh, which is a very long process. Um, so actually, yeah, I think enabling clients to understand not just what they want, but how the decisions that they make at the very early stages can really make massive differences to what they get. Um, and to kind of show like the value toolkit is so amazing because it's not about cost, it's about value in so many other aspects that's so important to projects. It's what they really should be on, um, like how it impacts people. This is what we do it for, not money. Well, uh, that's just my opinion. I mean, obviously money makes the world go round, but to do a good job and to make the world a better place, which is why I think we're all here in the construction industry, we should be starting with those conversations in the procurement, which I love. But yeah, that's what I mean. I agree. Obviously, working as an estimator and working in procurement and doing tendering data, I think it's my biggest bugbear, really, to be honest. And it's something I think Woody will come into on the last question about the obviously construction playbook. But obviously, myself, it's something that I think we really need to improve in procurement. And even not even the north south divide, that's mean, I speak to a lot of people down south and they're doing a lot of two-stage tendering and it is quality led and it's obviously about quality and then you do the target um, budget cost obviously together and everyone starts at an earlier process and like I said it needs to get away from the myth of it's us against them it's client against a contractor it shouldn't be like that like I said I no. work for I work for a contractor and that's been I spot so many people who work for client architect background and like I say it just that's what I mean it, it mystifies me because it's just a simple thing it's changing that culture you just need to get together and work together because we've all got our own we're all good at something aren't we so if we hopefully should like i said hopefully that's the one thing that 
I want to see improvement in the next five years is how it's procured and goes to two stage quality led and but like I said it's it's like anything it's that where's that funding gap come from because like I said I work for an SME contractor um, a main contractor and I suppose it's that funding gap where's that coming from to go to your local governments to fund that difference that need to go to quality rather than a client being stuck with a very small budget and trying, still trying to get everything done for that money so obviously that that's probably the yeah million dollar question where that's coming from and actually having those realistic budgets in the first place you know and I think sometimes people are guilty of trying to win work based on something you know they'll never be able to deliver for that price and then you know so nobody actually wins and you know if you can have that open honest conversation and that transparency and I think we need to get more transparent and I think things like data and stuff can start to create that transparency but you also have to have a culture where people aren't afraid to be transparent. I think it's ownership as well and and transparency does two things it obviously highlights the things that went wrong or where we could have done a better job but it really celebrates what we're doing great um, and at the moment like me and Lydia in our region of our committee we are trying to improve the in- industry image and like you say if we had the data out there to go yes okay the tender it, it didn't go to plan in this area in this area because of this and this I feel our industry sometimes really struggles with lessons learned and that's therefore not informing the client on how to make a better decision in the future but also how the contractors could have tended better um, and how the designers could have tried to eliminate these problems in the first place like there's just nothing coming from it because people are so scared to kind of see the black and white truth and they just want to move on to the next project and make money with the next one um, but we could be making so much more money if we fix our problems that we're doing over and over again. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But it's it's been willing for companies to be able to stick the necks on the line and and hold up their hands when things go wrong. And that's obviously a really difficult thing to do when you're trying to always be competitive. Um, whereas if you know that you're talking of really good, open, honest work um, where your client and you can build a relationship and get something you both are happy with, and then hopefully that kind of fear of having to remain kind of um, not untruthful, um, but just not being able to be as truthful will hopefully go. Yes, well said. Um, So what are your first impressions of the construction playbook? And do you think it will help change and progress our industry into a better way of working? If you have read it yet. <laughs> I I really welcome the playbook. I think the playbook is a brilliant way for us as an industry to sort of do all the things that we that we want to do. I think the fact that it's been jointly put together with the industry and government, you know, it sort of gives that I gives that um perspective of how industry can work better with clients I think what I really like is that focus on the front end because everyone's in a rush to get started because you know we judge project success on the wrong things quite often and the press actually judges project success on the wrong things you know it's um did we deliver in time and you know 
you look at some of the brilliant projects that have been delivered and it's the press story is usually it was late and it was over budget you know and yeah this is this is something that's frustrating me so I should jump in about um the pandemic because I personally feel like well we are kind of perceived anyway as a bit of an unappealing place of work um and not a very appealing industry but during the pandemic we rose to the challenge and you know we helped keep the economy going and I feel like it's it's something that should be recognized for the hard work and the effort that was put in to overcome the challenges but instead it was just construction is killing people you know just all this horrible media and press when when really it's something that should have been celebrated for for all the effort that was being put in then so but anyway, carry on. Uh, no, no, no. I think I think that's really important because I think it, it comes back to that whole we've got we've got a skills shortage and you know we struggle to attract people. And I don't think the press does its any favours. And I don't think no. that perception, you know, most people see construction as being, you know, a man in a van. And you know, that's you know, and that is, yeah. it's this, or builders yeah, exactly. And Lydia, I think your group came up with that is when you were doing the virtual project. And I think it's yeah. really important because people, they, they just don't recognize it. Even my friends don't recognize it, you know, um, you, and then you talk about some of the stuff that you're doing. And they're like, oh, wow, that's quite interesting. And you're like, yes, it is, because this is this is one of the most exciting industries to work in. We do amazing things. And you've got, you know, you talk to friends in other industries and a lot of it's really dull. And You're so right. I know my friends keep, they have a bit of a running joke now that every time I get drunk, all I talk about is construction <laughs> because I'm just like, construction this and we're doing amazing things and and it is really interesting and I just it's just a shame that people that aren't in this industry don't get to see that and they need to but you can make that change but it's like what you what you did obviously in your virtual project last year like you said it's I think probably the only positive thing that we saw in the national newspapers and Nightingale hospitals but and a lot of people aren't following these construction companies, their social media accounts. So they're not saying how oh, we've managed to get hospital wars done earlier. We've got like oxygen, extra oxygen for hospitals and construction's helped to do all that. And like I said, my company, we've been doing screens in, in hospitals to screen off um, isolation rooms so they can isolate COVID patients. And like I said, we've been doing all these extra stuff in hospitals to help with the COVID. But this is, like I said, I think it's like, we've all said we just need to probably express it more on social media and out there and like I said use hoardings on sites and stuff like that to try and advertise it more because the national press aren't doing it for us so I think we all need to come together more and And shout. We've proved it we are innovative and we are we can use technology so it's just it's just keeping on going and getting that message out there I think. Um, all hail our podcasts. I think this is like the greatest thing that we can be doing, and potentially we need to look at how we can hit this into a wider or wider, wider audience. Um, how can we get our podcast out there? I think this is another thing I want to see in the new year. 
Um, I want us to have more followers, but also more diverse followers. I think diversity is a big thing. Make making sure that, and for me, it's not just about diversity, it's about inclusion and making sure that people, when they come into the industry, feel they're valued and feel that they can be part of it and feel that they can really make a difference and feel supported, you know, and not like they're sort of on their own. And I think that's where G4C can play a really big role in making people, and especially, you know, being around people like you, you're not scared to challenge and push new ideas through. And I think that's really important. Definitely. So just to finish off, one last question. Um, what advice would you give to the young professionals in the industry? Oh, goodness. I think young professionals should definitely get involved with G4C. That's really important. Yeah. <laughs> but and that's not just because I want G4C to be the best thing ever, but because I think that you need to find people who will support you and find those people that will support you. Try and get mentors, try and um, try and find those people around, surround yourself with people who will want to change things, will get that positivity because you know that you will come up against people who don't want to change and you need to have people around you that do want to do things better. I think mentors are really important and also take every opportunity to learn, you know, those fo formal and informal opportunities to learn because that those are the things that are really going to help you progress within the industry and you know enjoy it. And I guess make sure that you do bore your friends with stories of construction, because the more they realise that it's a brilliant industry, the more likely they are to want to get involved. Yeah, Lydia, keep drinking. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Everyone in Sheffield will be, I'll be known as the, as the you don't, girl not to go near when she's drunk, because it's all she talks about. You don't, you don't need to give her more reason to get drunk, Demi. <laughs> I was actually just imagining Lydia out in her high vis. How funny is that? <laughs> I just have to cut this bit out. I'm not an alcoholic. Um, but anyway, thank you so much for joining us. I've really enjoyed um, this podcast. I think it was a it was a great one, and it's um, yeah, you've you've taught me a lot actually. I didn't know that construction experts were doing all of those all those different things with all the groups. So so that was really interesting. And thank you for giving your opinion. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. And hopefully we'll see you soon on one of the catch up calls. Yeah, thank you all. Thank you. This was a next generation construction podcast brought to you by G4C, the young professional voice of the built environment. We are hopefully here to inspire the next generation of our industry.